Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Happy Friday, guys. Today is a Q&A, as always, on Friday, and today we are tackling basically all training and nutrition. We literally just dive deep into training and nutrition. Uh, we talk about morning training. We talk pretty deeply about uh, diet breaks and refeeds and what my current thoughts are on all the research that has come out over the last few years. Talk about some people I've interviewed recently. We talked about really early morning tr- training. I mean like 4.30 in the morning training, which is, man, I don't know why you're training that early. That sucks. I'm sorry. But we talked about that, how to handle that, how to make the most out of that, and how to still get results while having to train that early because I know a lot of you guys have no choice and you have to train that early and we understand that. Um, so we dive into a lot of cool topics and they're going to be pretty applicable for you. Before we get into the show, I want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors. The first one being Creapure. Head over to creapure.com. Um, and I encourage you to just go to the page where you can see who they sponsored. There's a lot of creatine monohydrate companies out there and the ones that use Creapure specifically are the ones that you should trust and they have a list of products on there so you can make sure you're taking the right type of creatine. The next one is Top Notch Nutrition, which is the company that supplies all of my nutrition needs with supplements as well as my family and my clientele. Uh, you can head over to topnotchnutrition.com slash discounts slash boom boom and you can save 10 to 15% off. Without any further ado, let's jump into the questions. Yeah, I, I usually keep it like that. Yeah. Not pitch dark, but just darker. Yeah. Big, uh, big dungeon guy. Yeah. Makes you feel like you're in the cave. Yeah. Getting work done. I'm a huge fan of the caves. Get out of there. All right. It actually feels cooler, too, when you... Cooler. Yeah. Cool. You remember... Uh, Kyle? No, no. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool Whip. Cool Whip. Uh, it's Cool Whip. Yeah. Cool Whip. <laughs> you don't You've, pronounce the H. Did you just ask me if I remember that? Yeah. You've seen it 12 times. Big tw- Family Guy guy. Yeah. Guy, family Guy. Family Guy is a good show. Yeah. It's great. Hilarious. I'm a bigger fan of Dickie. Mom. Or no. Mom. Uh, Mom. Mom. <laughs> what? The funniest one to me is when Brian, I love when Brian says things that you know a dog would say. You know? <laughs> yeah. And we're going to keep this because I know people will wow. think this is funny. Yeah. Um, but w- there was one, I like, for example, when he's in the car and he puts his head out. <laughs> yeah. And instead of barking, he's like, hey, 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 you, look at me, look at me. <laughs> but it's in barking. Yeah. Or there's this one where in the diner. And I think about this because I'm a kid now. But there's a baby crying in the booth behind him. And he turns around. And he's like, wah, wah. Oh, Brian. Yeah. yeah. How do you like it? And the baby's like <laughs> just staring at him. And it's so funny because like I used to like it, it used to. I mean, I don't want to sound like a dick. But I remember being at a restaurant and being like, oh, fuck. Like, can baby just, crying? Yeah. Can you just get that baby to stop crying? And I was young and ignorant. Yeah. And then like I remember being at, at Panera Bread years ago. In Ren. No, it was in uh, okay. South Hill okay. with my mom, and there was this baby just wailing, and I was kind of like cringing, and she's just staring at it, smiling, and I was like, what are you doing? She's like, it's so cute, and I was like, oh my God. the baby's freaking out. Now, 
that I have a daughter. Like I'm on an airplane and this actually happened on the way to San Diego. This kid was crying and the and I just like looked there and smiled and looked at the, the mom like, oh, cute little kid. You know what I mean? Because completely different night and day like thought process that goes through mm-hmm. your head because you see it all the time. Yeah. But I always every time I see a baby crying in public, I think of Brian and I it, and I want to <laughs> do it just to, just because of that show. But if the if the, <laughs> the parents never seen Family Guy, they would be like, yeah, dude, you're an asshole. Yeah. Don't scream at my baby. One time uh, I was on the pl- on a plane and I was, I Snapchatted myself like, cause there was a baby crying. So I Snapchatted stuff and I Snapchatted uh, me turning my noise cancellation on my phone being like, damn babies. <laughs> my friends on my Instagram that are moms fucking demolished me. In oh, the I, DS. I was like, uh, delete. Dude, a baby in the airport and on the plane is stressful. Yeah. Blakely did super well when we went to San Diego. That's the only time we brought her on a plane. But we were so nervous because yeah. when we got there, she hated TSA, which, yeah. I mean, who I understand. Does, who doesn't like yeah, it? Yeah, who, who likes or who it? who does like it? Well, and we're going through the x-ray, and they took her teddy bear, oh. and she lost it. No. And she just starts screaming, and then I'm like, okay, we're going to go through the x-ray. And she's like, no, like, don't go through that because it's like this weird yeah. thing. And once we got through there, it was fine. And then we got on the plane, and we're like, oh, please. Like, and, dude, before we even took off, she was, like, getting ready, and she was, like, sitting up. And she starts going, let's go, let's, and people were like looking at her and we're like, oh shit, you ready to take off? And then we took off and she just passed out, slept the whole time. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Perfect. <laughs> but yeah, she did, she did super good. I was pretty pleased with that. Um, I thought you were going to say Pratt. <laughs> for, for anybody, especially people who like hip hop, go watch Dave. If yeah, you have Hulu. I watched it. I watched, it, it, I watched it. Maybe it's on FX, like cable, or if it's just well, on Hulu. I watched on Hulu last night. But. Me too. Up to episode four. Hilarious. Yeah. Wait. Young, young thug. <laughs> oh, yeah. I watched that one already. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. It's. it's I, I don't even want to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. No. Me, we won't go into detail. If you don't like crude humor, don't watch it. Yes. But if you do um, and you think things like Family Guy or <laughs> Always Sunny in Philadelphia are funny. Yeah. Um, you might like Dave. You might like it. Yeah. It, I think it's funny because like if I guess that shows a little bit about something. But I, I was talking to my brother about this. If we look at Always Sunny in Philadelphia, it's literally a show about nothing. Yeah. Just like Seinfeld. Yeah. But it's our generation Seinfeld. And it's like how much farther they take things. Sometimes it's like, oh, you don't even want to watch. Yeah. Or or what am I watching? Yeah. But it's so funny. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great show. When him and that girl are in a scene and the garage door comes open. Oh, Oh my God. God. Him and his girlfriend. (laughs) And his roommate Rolling on the ground laughing. Roommate's like, I'm gonna go into the front door. <laughs> I'll park on the street. <laughs> They're in like a weird contraption. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, if that wasn't a good enough teaser, guys, dude, I don't know what it dude, is. Dude, the thing is, that episode sucked. It was so stupid. And at the very end, perfect. Ending. Me and Joe's go. That was worth the whole episode. Yeah, hundred percent. Was so funny. Yeah. They uh, and, and what I will say is, he's actually a good rapper. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I don't very creative. Very creative. Yeah. Have you listened to his freestyles? On like yeah. uh, Hot like, 97. Or and, uh, Flex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sway. All those. Yes. He crushes Sick. them. And they're funny as hell. Yeah. Like you, you can see him joking around while he does it. Yep. But it's a well. flow. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. All right. Let's get into these questions, man. Right. First one is from Emily Shoup. She says, I am finishing up a 12-week cut on July 8th. I will be on vacation from July 8th through the 20th without access to normal my normal foods and I'd like to take a break from tracking. What is the best way to go about this process for my reverse? So basically an intuitive reverse. Mm-hmm. Um on the on the go. Yeah. I I mean I would always say this like 
I think intuitive eating is great. And like, if you can work to that eventually, I think that using numbers, like the purpose of using numbers and macros and data and metrics is because it can, you can better predict where you're going. So if somebody has a goal that we're trying to reach, I'm very unlikely to encourage intuitive eating. Like I think intuitive eating comes when you've gotten your result, you've successfully reversed out of it. And now you're like, okay, I just want to sustain this. Yeah. How do I keep going? Or you're an athlete who just wants to perform well and you can have enough awareness to make sure you're fueled properly, but you don't care if you're shredded or anything like that. It's different. You know, I think that going through a reverse, you should almost be hyper aware of your macros because you're trying to sustain that result, which means reverse dieting is increasing carbohydrates or calories in general slowly over time, maybe a little bit faster at the beginning and then slower after that to see how far you can push that caloric threshold. But how do you do that intuitively? Like, I mean, I guess you can, like if the only way to do it, you're super familiar. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like different foods have so much, especially if you're on vacation, it's so hard. But if you were at home when you were following a meal plan and you ate oats and eggs every single morning and you ate chicken rice and broccoli for lunch and you ate like steak and sweet potatoes for dinner every single day you could be like okay you have a cup of rice okay in two weeks you're gonna have a cup and a half of rice because we know that's a small carb increase and then the week after that you're gonna add a half a cup of oats like it's you're making those you know 20 to 25 gram carb adjustments every few weeks but you have to eat the same thing every day to really be able to manage that without tracking numbers Hmm. yeah you know what I mean? Because yeah. otherwise, how like a piece of bread versus potatoes versus pasta versus quinoa versus rice versus oats versus cereal, they all have different carb counts for a cup, right? Yeah. So you can't just have a cup of carbs. Like you have to – so I just think like in my opinion, I think you should track. I think like tracking while on the go really isn't that hard because you can scan shit. Like when, well, I'm, on, I mean, when I'm on a road trip or driving somewhere, go to the gas station, I grab jerky, scan it, boom, it's in my MyFitnessPal. It's not that hard, you know? Yeah. So I think it – it's not going to be perfect because you're going to go out to dinner. You're going to have some barbecue, stuff like that. But an estimate is much better than a guess, right? So like – or, or just not even knowing at all, right? Just going and winging it. Um, and the only reason I encourage that, I understand that it's not fun necessarily to track and try to be diligent during vacation. vacation but if you really care about your results and you really want to make the most out of the reverse, I, I truly think the only answer is to like track. Even if you're just tracking calories and protein – um, and you're estimating on a lot of things cause you're not going to be able to weigh stuff. Like I would never say like bring your scale and weigh the food you're eating, but at least look at something and say, Oh, it's about this and add it in. Depends on how severe your goal is. Are you getting on stage? I mean, you're not yeah. going on vacation probably. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think like it's one of those things too. Like how long is your vacation? Yeah. So like if you just had a really successful cut and you're like, okay, I'm about to start my reverse, but I'm going on vacation for four days. Okay. Go on vacation for phase four days don't track a thing come back get right back on the diet for a few days so you can kind of just like get rid of the bloat from vacation stuff and then start the reverse yes um now if you're going away for a month two weeks i would probably say track. yeah Yeah. i would probably say track because that's that's quite a bit of time to be intuitive um and especially like you got to think about this way too like after a a a true diet your hunger cues are going to be greater than they were before because you've been dieting you've been Mm -hmm. hungry so when you come out of that, your body is going to be wanting more food, right? So you might want to track just to make sure that you actually keep your calories in check. For sure. Versus letting the floodgates open. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. I think that answers that question. Cool. All right. So um, next question is from 
Jillian Barker. This is a two questions. Uh, first one is, if you are designing a posterior anterior split program, wh- where would you fit in a medial delt work? Yeah. Let me read you the second question too. What are your thoughts on leg recovery here? By that I mean doing quads on an anterior day and glute hams on a posterior day. But you are using both quads and hams in a lot of leg work. Uh, so how does this affect recovery? Yeah. Um, most uh, medial delts probably going to be on anterior day just because like I understand lateral raises are going to be hitting those. And I mean, it's, it's lateral. It's not really anterior or posterior front or back. Yeah. However, when you're doing a barbell bench press, you're working quite a bit of anterior deltoid. When you're doing a uh, military press, you're working quite a bit of anterior and lateral. So a lot of pressing movements in general, you're going to be hitting that lateral Delt, so I probably would put them in in the anterior day. Like you can throw lateral raises, or your presses are just your presses, and that's an anterior day. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, posterior days would be basically saved for rear delts, traps, lats, rhomboids, hams, glutes, stuff like that. Literally head to toe the backside. Now I think that leg recovery isn't um, leg recovery isn't that big of a problem for most people because it it kind of depends. Are you doing like anterior posterior rest anterior posterior rest because if you're doing that you have plenty of times so you have that yep. rest day but i've done a program that's six almost, days a week it's almost two days because you're not doing yeah, lower exactly and even that small bit of carryover isn't enough to really cause damage i i've done a six day anterior posterior and i have one inside the Taylor trainer where it's like anterior posterior anterior posterior and you go back and forth back and forth back and forth and typically two things number one it depends on your squat if you're a very hip dominant squatter, you have a wide stance, you sit way back into it, I'm probably going to alter your squat variation to pick a quad dominant squat so we don't run into that problem. Um, for me, I do more of a close stance, heels elevated, high bar squat. It's like it's completely quads. Yeah. Like maybe I get a little glutes, barely any hamstrings if at all. So I would not have to worry about that. Um, and if you're doing deadlifts, I probably would do a sumo or an RDL because those don't have any quad, right? And then you're good. You just kind of shift the variations in the, the form to be more quad dominant or more glute hamstring dominant. Um, and even with the little carryover, at the end of the day, it's volume. Yeah. You know, if you if you do if you can't recover day to day, it's not because you did an anterior day before a posterior day. It's because you just did too much. Period. You did mm-hmm. too much volume because you can do a full leg day right and do a ton of volume. You're sore as hell, or you can do split it up into two sessions and you'll be fine. There's people that do five days. I have a program in the Taylor Trainer that do five days full body. So you're literally doing push, pull, hip, and knee core, everything, like mm. every single day. Yeah. So there's certain days that you do like a bench press and then a little bit more isolation for your chest and not as much isolation for your shoulders or back. And then some days more to your back, some days more to your legs, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, every single day, you're hitting every muscle group. That's what you said. It's a five-day full body? Yeah. Gotcha. And nobody's ever had recovery issues. Uh, some people have better recovery because if you look at how much volume per set is happening or, yeah, per set per muscle group per session, it's less. Yeah. So if I do a leg day and I have to add all my legs completely today and I might have one other leg day this week, like what I do, mm-hmm. I am going to do probably like – anywhere between six to 10 sets of quads, six to 10 sets of hamstrings. And maybe like for me, like three to four sets of glutes one, cause I don't care to have huge glutes and two, the glutes get hit a little bit in the squat, a little bit in the RDL stuff, I guess so it's kind of a byproduct, but that's a lot of volume. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
I'm not doing that in a full body session. I might do three sets of quads instead of 10, hmm. but I'm doing three sets of quads five days a week. Yeah. So now I'm doing 15 sets by the end of the week, which is more, might be more than I was doing on an upper lower split, but it's spread out evenly. So I think people got to remember too, just because you're doing quads doesn't mean you're going to get sore. You either have to pick a new variation of a movement. So it's, it's novel. It's new. It, it creates a new stimulus and that creates soreness. You have to go super heavy on that movement. So add a lot of weight to it. Or you have to do a good amount of volume to really create a mus- enough muscle damage to be sore for days on end. For sure. Um, otherwise, I don't think you're going to have an issue. And I think if you are having an issue, you're probably doing too much precession. But if you follow That's the – topic. <laughs> yeah. If you follow the volume landmarks, then you're golden. And yeah. if you – we'll link this in the show notes. But Brandon, our CSO, wrote an article on volume that's really good mm. and teach you everything you need to know. Nice. And then you just follow that. I will say, they for just to add to the recovery thing – they're tiring. <laughs> like, so think of an anterior, uh, posterior split, like a anterior day, you might do like a back squat and then a bench press. Yeah. I usually split it up from barbell. So like one anterior day would have bar- barbell squat. One day would have barbell bench, but let's say we do a barbell squat and then we do a dumbbell floor press and then we're doing a shoulder press and then we're doing like a lunge with some lateral, like you're doing like anytime you do full body yeah. period. It's so taxing yep. because you're doing some. You like, don't get that extra uh, day day in between. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's there's pros and cons of it. Now I I do really well with full body because I have to like psych myself up for a leg day because like this week like we did maxes I'm like Fuck, okay I'm gonna do a one rep max on squat and then I'm gonna do heavy RDLs and then I'm gonna do heavy step ups and then I'm gonna do leg extensions and I'm like Fuck, there's so much legs today. Yeah. An upper body day, I'm like stoked. Let's yep. get a pump. Let's do some curls. Let's do some bench. Like I love that. So for me, full body works good because if I can sneak a little bit of legs in on every day, it's way easier to push the intensity because I'm not like, okay, like I got to be moderate on these squats because I got a bunch of legs after it. You know what I mean? So For sure. It can be draining from a cardiovascular perspective. Like your heart's pumping because you're doing full body. But I think for some people, it actually works in their advantage. If it's hard for you to get psyched up for leg day, which a lot of people it is. Yeah. Would you rather get psyched up for leg day once or twice a week? Or would you rather do a little bit of leg day every single day? Exactly. That's a question. Um, for me, <laughs> for me, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of a psychopath and <laughs> One, two legs I, I actually prefer to split it up because I love the mental challenge because, and because I, I really enjoy those full upper body days. Yeah. But I know for me, like, I get excited when I start, like, talking myself out of doing leg day. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I got to get it. Like, I got to go after it. And I think that. You get excited? I get excited in a weird way. Like, because. Psychopath? <laughs> because, That's aggressive, though. But, anyway. but but my point is, is, like, I get really excited by challenge. There you like, go. Like, I said this on the other parts. Tell me I can't do something. Yeah. Like, please tell me that. That's yeah. going to fire me up. Um, so I think challenge. That's why, like. We'll be lifting, and CJ's like, oh, is that the last one? I'm like, no, we got sled. Sled's not on the board. I'm like, I know. And it's like, load that fucker up. How heavy? As heavy as we can. So, dude, we, like, would just put plates on until I'm, like, <laughs> like barely moving, right? And and the reason for that is yeah, because what? after a heavy leg day, pushing the sled is, like, fuck, like you have – doing shit that you don't want to do. That's the whole reason we're doing the burpee challenge yeah. in, the, in the Facebook group with all the yeah. members. Doing shit that you don't want to do successfully – makes your self-discipline, your grit, your hustle, your grind, your ability to just push so much better. Definitely. And then all the times where you got to wake up at five or you got to do something for somebody or you got to work a little bit harder, it's easier to click into that mode, that grind mode, because 
you've done it. Yep. You took the cold showers. You did the 20 burpees. You pushed the sled after a leg day, whatever it is. Um, so I get excited about it because I, I know it's kind of like that, you know? Yeah. Dope. I think it makes you a better – I think that's why the gym makes you a better person. The challenge. Yeah, yep. 100%. All right, next question is Taylor Bin, Bin Laden. Bin Laden, I'm probably butchering that, but I'm trying to do lean bulk right now, and I really enjoy lifting right after I wake up before work. However, this is at 4.30 a.m., so it's fasted. I do have a high-protein 30 grams and high-carb 50 to 60 grams meal right afterwards, and I higher-carb and protein meal right before bed the night before. Is this okay? And I want to maximize muscle gain, but it's hard to think of eating something that early. Like you said before, protein shake. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think four thirty is pretty damn. That's early. earlier than previous questions. Yeah, <laughs> you know, five thirty. Keeps getting worse. Yeah, I get up at one a.m. Yeah, <laughs> I don't go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, uh, dude, that that just says how much flexibility. Not flexibility. How how different people's schedules are oh yeah it's crazy what i was at we went and picked up a coffee at a little coffee stand i don't go to starbucks anymore you, they uh, discontinued oh. my like skinny mocha it sounds so lame but yeah i would <laughs> say that on your bike <laughs> <laughs> no dude there's a bunch of people that have heard me say it that go get like my drink at starbucks because it's interesting because it's sugar free so oh, you, yeah. you can basically have that mocha flavor and then you add cinnamon dolce but yeah. it's all sugar free or vanilla and it's, it tastes like you're drinking a real mocha, but it's no calories. Yeah. And I was driving, I, I went to Starbucks and they're like, oh, we discontinued skinny mocha. And I was like, really? Excuse me? They're like, yeah. I was like, all right, never mind. And I just drove <laughs> off and I was heading back from my dad's in Federal Way. So then I came through and I stopped at the next one. No, we discontinued it. I was like, no fucking way. And then I, when I got to Bonnie Lake, I was like, it's my last chance. Please people, the locals. Nope. I was like, all right, you guys lost my business. That's only a, the coffee's not actually good. It's yeah. only good if you put that in. Yeah, it. I got a question, side question. But uh, I know somebody that lives in Tolly, and they said that the post is not very good coffee. You know what's funny? Shannon told me yesterday how surprised she was at how good it was. Wow. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> Shannon, I, I bought. So I I went down there and got Shannon a coffee and Blakely like a. I think I got her a cinnamon roll or something one morning before they woke up. And I want to say I got her a black and white mocha because I know she likes those. Hmm. But I don't think you can judge a coffee stand by their black and white mocha because if you take coffee and you put chocolate mocha, white mocha, some creamer, like all that shit in there, you can't taste the coffee. Yeah. You taste how well they mix the syrups yeah. together. So, and it's just like Starbucks. I love Starbucks. But if you get a black coffee from Starbucks, it sucks. Yeah. They just burn their beans. They're yeah. not good. So, um, but it's called Cafe Lardo. Um, like that's the, it's like a, basically what is the post. So oh. the post is called that, but they use like, um, uh, or no cafe Darte. Mm. It's like a brand of cafes that do that. So yeah. that's their coffee company, but I've had black coffee there. I thought it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a cool little they spot just, too. The person I talked to just said it was it's extremely convenient. Yeah. But they just, and I don't even think our coffee's not, but anyway, let's back to the question. Yeah. Um, the we reason agree, I was right? saying that, no, is because <laughs> I went through that coffee thing and she was like, uh, we we're like, oh, how's your day going? She was like, oh, almost over. I've been here since 3.30. We're like, oh, what? Oh, yeah, time. Why, how, how have you been at the coffee stand since 3.30? Who gets coffee at 3.30? And that's when they open. It's 3.30. I was like, that's a weird time to open. You're not open just 24-7. So open at 3.30. But anyway, um, I 
there's two things. Number one, like they've done some research on this and honestly, you're going to be fine. You're not going to lose muscle. If you're doing it totally, totally fine. If you're consuming protein and carbs right after your workout, you're consuming protein. Really, that's going to be the biggest thing because that's going to help uh, the muscle protein synthesis, the muscle protein breakdown. It's going to help recovery, so on and so forth. Um, the carbs are just going to help kind of bring down that cortisol, that stress response from training is going to help you recover a little bit, maybe build some more muscle because of that cortisol reduction. Um, but I don't think you have to worry about it too much because four 30 in the morning is really, really early. Yeah. Um, so if you're eating something at night, you're probably going to be fine at the end of the day, unless you're like uh, the only time I would say different is if you're in a deficit, yeah. if you're dieting and you're on really low calories, I probably would have even if you have like 15 grams of powdered carb, like highly brand cyclic dextrin or Gatorade yeah. and some whey protein, like as you start training, I think you're going to be better off and it's going to be easier to maintain muscle and strength during a deficit. But if you're at maintenance or above, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like I could train fast early in the morning and it wouldn't make any difference besides the fact that I just don't like training in the morning because I'm eating enough food because I'm not in a deficit. Um, if you're not in a deficit, you have enough amino acids, you have enough glycogen and carbohydrates stored in your body to support fasted training with no issue whatsoever. Um, so to add to that, some people do see a performance enhancement when consuming some kind of glucose or, or um, some kind of carb basically right before their workout or during, but not everybody. Yeah. It, it's pretty individual. Um, and if, if that messes with your digestion and your gut's a wreck during your workout, it doesn't matter if it gave you some energy, you're going to feel like shit. It's not going to go well. Yeah. So I definitely don't think you need to worry about it. But if you're in a deficit, I might say maybe sneak in a shake during the workout. Otherwise, I think you're fine. Yeah. Taylor, I applaud you for working out at 4.30 a.m. Yeah. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. There's some I had to I had to get a lift in here. I think you could do it. I mean, I would. We went – I don't remember what we were doing. Maybe Shannon was leaving. And, and she was. She was going to <laughs> – because of quarantine, she drove to eastern Washington or – Central Washington, I guess, yeah. Central, Ellensburg, two or three hours or whatever just to get her hair done because, like, everything was closed over here. And uh, so she was leaving early, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. She's like, well, how early are you going to go up there? I was like, how early do I need to get there? And she was like, I mean, you got to get there at least 6 if you want to be back time. All right, I'll be there at 6. Woke up at 5 on a Saturday, ate breakfast, and went. So I do it, but yeah. but I, I definitely don't like to. Yeah, Usually I lift at 3.30, and then on Saturdays it's your, like 12. Your initial comment was I couldn't do it. Yeah, but I could do it. Yeah, and I would do it. And it would not be uh, ideal to do it consistently. No, but if you're doing that consistently, Taylor, yeah. shout out to you. And I would keep doing it if you have to do it. But if you can be flexible at all, I would highly recommend changing the time for anybody listening. Uh, there, I mean, there's it's even been studies ideal. that show you actually build more muscle if you train between the hours of three to five p.m. And I think the reason for that is is you most likely have at least a couple meals in you. You have more fluid in you from drinking water. You've been moving all day so your joints aren't as tight. Um, you're less likely to get injured. You have more energy because you've been awake. Yeah. Depending on your schedule. Yeah. It's a win-win. But I'm saying the perfect time. That's why I trained at 3.30 because yeah. a bunch of studies came out said yeah. 3 was the best time. So that's when we trained. But um, I know a lot of people can't do that. So yeah. for most people, I would just say if you can push it out to your lunch or just after work or whatever, I would. But mm. – I personally, like if I could control it, I would rather say, ask my boss, Hey, can I start work earlier? Right. Instead of working out at four 30 and then getting to work, I would be like, let me get to work at four 30 so I can get out of there at two and then work out at three. Yeah. You know, and then you're still home for dinner with the fam. Yeah. But then again, I don't create your schedule. So (laughs) 
court. <laughs> Dictate what your boss says. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next question is from Sarah Sophia. If I follow a five two-day split, should my macros five days a week be at a lower deficit to make up for the one to two days at maintenance? So I still end up at a weekly deficit of 3500 Yes. Yep. <laughs> Just, Why? Um, so, go ahead. Yes, because at the end of the day, I should say at the end of the week, your weekly deficit needs to be in check. So, if, if you don't create a big enough deficit on those five days, then your weekly deficit's not big enough. Yeah. You have to basically you have to factor in your maintenance days, your refeeds into that weekly deficit. That's why on that recent research study with Bill Campbell. They had a 5-2 group, and the five days was a 25% deficit. Two days were at maintenance, and then the group that was just dieting all the days through was at a 15% deficit. Why? Because they didn't need to diet as hard because they weren't taking refeed days. Um, so it's really one of those things where it's adherence. Um, the, the diet break and refeed studies and research has been so crazy. And like, If you would have asked me two years ago, I would have said everybody needs to do diet breaks. Everybody needs to do – I still think everybody does, so I shouldn't say it too bluntly but point being is i i truly thought there was like these huge physiological changes like you're gonna like there's gonna be less damage to your metabolic uh, your metabolism there's gonna be less metabolic adaptation um less hormonal dysfunction stuff like that which may be indirectly but the more and more research comes out on diet breaks and they're structuring the studies better and better the more and more we're realizing like oh it doesn't really make yeah. a difference isn't it like what I remember you saying is more psychological. Hundred percent. Okay. So it's it's more it's just more psychological. It's more about adherence. Yeah. Um. What they think is probably happening. So when they take uh, like elite athletes and do it, um. And I have a, a really good episode coming out with Jackson uh, Pios, and he does a lot of research on this. And it's really, it was a really good talk. Diet breaks. Diet breaks. Yep. Yeah. But what they find is with athletes. high level athletes. I mean, they're consistent. You don't have to really, you know, challenge. Better them. be. Yeah. <laughs> Like they love the grind. So when they do diet breaks, everything's equal. When they don't do diet breaks, they're still going to hit their macros. Even if they're like, fuck, I'm hungry. They know that yep. they're going to be hungry. It's a diet. Um, when we take the gen pop and we do this, the diet break group seems to get better results. Why is that? It's probably because when they have a diet break, they're more likely to adhere on the deficit breaks. And we can't like, it's not a metabolic ward. So it's more like, Hey, here's your calories. You're going to go home. Like, I'm not going to see everything you eat except when you're in the lab. So there's always the possibility of you veering off plan in the deficit periods, right? And if I give you a diet break, that might relieve that psychological stress. So when you go off to the deficit, you don't veer off. You Definitely. don't estimate. You don't, like, sneak things in. Um, so I think it's most likely what's happening. The diet breaks allow better adherence in the deficit phases for gen pop, and that's why diet breaks seem to be so advantageous. I think that like what we were talking about, me and Jackson were like, because I kind of challenged him to think like, is there any indirect result? Like, mm. yes, it's most likely adherence and psychological, but um, and even with muscle maintenance, they're showing there's there's not a lot of dry mass retention, um, so pure muscle tissue. It's more so like you're just replenishing water and muscle glycogen. But the muscle cells mainly filled with that. So is there any argument to say like, yeah, you're not technically saving muscle, but you're saving more muscle glycogen over time, which looks like muscle, acts like muscle and helps you train your muscles. Hmm. So is that still a benefit? Is it still worth it? Is all the psychological aspects, do they indirectly create a better physiological environment and atmosphere in your body? Um, and we both kind of agreed that it would. 
Uh, we can't really pinpoint why. Uh, but and this is a good example because he's a diet break researcher who has come to terms with diet breaks really aren't all that we thought they were. For sure. Yet he still uses them with all his clients. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where I stand too. But um, so with – They're not necessary, but they are helpful. Helpful. Yeah. There you go. And, and it's kind of one of those things too. It's like, okay, so you do five days on, two days off, or you do seven days on. Which one are you going to adhere to better? If the two refeed days and, and you just take a slightly bigger deficit, like if that's easier for you to stick to, do it. It's going to be the same thing. Um, and to me, I don't always do a 5-2. Um, it's usually more like multiple weeks in a row of dieting and then we'll take a full week off. Hmm. If Damn, I can, that would be hard. I feel like that whole that one week off, it would be hard to get back into the, the So imagine deficit. if you had to get back into the deficit every single week though. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if we take if we take three weeks on or four weeks on and then one week off, yeah. the deficit's a little bit smaller. If you do five days on, two days off, the deficit's bigger and you have to refeed and then restart every single week. And the other thing I don't always how- like about five two is like sometimes if I give you two days a week, which is usually the weekends, it's alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just and then it kind of defeats the purpose of the yeah. refeed. So yeah. and, and that's all dependent on the person. If you do seven days on, um, and you don't do any diet breaks at all, mm-hmm. how much more calories do you get if you don't do a diet break? So I'm saying you, you're saying you go yeah. into a you do so, you go into a larger deficit yeah. if you if you do it. I can't break. say exact obviously because it depends. But like okay. that study, what they showed is is the five day group was in a 25 percent deficit. The seven day group was in a 15 percent deficit. Okay. So 25 percent is way bigger than 15 percent. However. What's their maintenance calories? Because if somebody's at fifteen hundred calories, that's not that big of a difference, like fifty calories. Wow. If they're at twenty five hundred calories, it's like one hundred and fifty calories, right? Okay. It's, and then now we go, okay, the bigger your maintenance is, the bigger that difference feels. Um, but you kind of have to look at it like which one is going to be easier for you. That really is what it comes down to. And I think that, I, you know, to me, it's like if we can fit in diet breaks and they psychologically help you, yeah, and you'll still lose just as much weight at the end of the the trial, yeah. Why wouldn't we Why do it? Why would you not do it? Yep. I would even – the thing that I – so Brandon, our CSO, texted me probably like a week ago. Was like, oh, he wasn't on the call today. Yeah, he's in uh, – Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know where he is. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so uh, I was telling the group that I think before you jumped on. Um, yeah, he does uh, some stuff with the Army, and which is really cool. Yeah. Like science, like research. And anyway, research so he training. texted you. He texted me and was like, if you ever want to like do a study and like – help fund it. Like, let me know, like we can create whatever study you want to see happen. And I was like, Whoa, that would be cool. Part of me is like, okay, well, if I can be in the study, yeah. but then, uh, that you're not, if you fund or run the study, you can't participate in it. Oh. That's like a really bad thing. Cause it can be biased. Yeah. Um, cause if I want to study something and I want a certain result and then I enter the study, I can, you know, doctor or whatever it, yep. um, but Manipulate. But one of the things I was thinking about, so I had, like, as soon as you said that, I started thinking about ideas of what we could do for a study. Um, and obviously, it's going to be like, how much does it cost? Because yeah. if he's like, oh, just 200 grand, I'd be like, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Not worth it. Yeah. Uh, but, like, does I want to do. Does it give do, you, uh, like, like, what does it do for you? Like, what? just to say that. The study? I did, yeah. Um, two things. One. Validation or, like. No, I mean, I guess you could say, like, positioning-wise, it's it's good to be, you know, like. Two things. One, like I helped create a groundbreaking study for the industry. There you go. Um, number two, it helps me because if we do a study that is going to help my coaching systems be more effective and efficient, 
it's a win. Yeah. Um, and then number three, it's it's just kind of like cool to say, you know, like I did a study. I did a study. I, I helped create us and fund a study. Um, we helped change the industry for the better because of the study. Like that would be really Sick. cool. The things that came to mind, one of them was a diet break study where the whole purpose would be using different diet break strategies just to maintain lean muscle tissue. But the study would have to be at least 24 weeks, yeah. which is six months. Because most studies, I think the longest diet break study I'm aware of, um, I guess the Matador one was 32 weeks. Eight months. But there, it was sedentary. Uh, yeah. But there were sedentary men, I'm pretty sure. So I'm like, okay, I want six plus months of guys lifting weight or girls strength training, trying to build muscle every single week, like consistent advanced lifters. Now, my thought process is if we're taking regular diet breaks and the only thing that we're getting out of it is we're replenishing some muscle glycogen, which is just stored carbohydrate and water, is that over the course of months and months and months and months going to lead to more muscle because you can squeeze out just a little bit more volume every time you have those refeed days? Because mm-hmm. if you have a couple of refeed days and you hit the gym on your heaviest days, you're going to train harder. You For might sure. build more muscle. You're not going to notice that in four to eight weeks with an advanced lifter, but in six months to a year, you might actually notice it. So at that point we go, okay, maybe in the short term, it doesn't do that much, but maybe in the long term, it does quite a bit. And that's actually something me and Jackson were talking about, um, Hmm. which I'm not even going to bring up to Brandon yet because Jackson just did two more diet break studies. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he, he, he did two more diet break studies that haven't been published yet. So he kind of told me, but you can only say so much before it gets published. Yeah. Um, can't spill the beans. So who knows? He might have been looking at that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think that would be a cool study. I think a concurrent training study would be cool where like a lot of the literature shows that if you do concurrent training, so like let's say bodybuilding and endurance running, um, you can set it up really strategically to where you don't limit muscle gain. You still gain muscle at a good rate. Um, and then you can set it up incorrectly where it really hinders your ability to build muscle. Um, but I want to design a study to try and prove that conditioning will help build muscle. Sick. So I want two groups. One group does no conditioning, same training program for lifting. The other group does the same program for lifting, but they have a conditioning model that is there to improve their energy systems, which hopefully will improve their recovery and capacity to train, which will lead to more volume in the gym. And that'll lead to more gains. Um, cause there's no study. Like everybody's like, okay, if we do both, is it going to like, basically tear away muscle. Is it yeah. going to like wor- make your strength gains worse? I want to like design it to try to enforce better gains. Hmm. Um, cause I don't think that's a, that's not a area that's super well studied yet. Yeah. There's only a few good studies on it, but, um, not a lot of information or data. Yeah. I got to talk to Brandon about it cause I, it got me excited when he said that. Um, cool. But yeah, I think <laughs> for your question, uh, going back to that, Five um, yeah, you're, yeah. I mean, it's all about the weekly deficit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and and if you're doing like three weeks on, one week off, it's all about the monthly deficit. Yeah. Same thing. It's literally just take the average and, and make sure it's a deficit. Dope. All right, so the next question is going to be from Carmen Spitzer. Is there a difference in calculating macros for petite, small females? General is about 3.3 to 0.4 grams of fat per pound. If someone is only 110 pounds or less, that's only 33 to 44 grams, which is pretty low for a female. Mm-hmm. The same with protein. Yeah, I think I've said multiple times on the podcast that for light females, I'll go like 1.5 grams per pound of yeah. bo- uh, in protein That's and like 0.5 grams much for more fat. significant, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think 0.3 is the lower end, and I use that more with guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I very rarely ever use 0.3 for women um, unless they have a lot of weight to lose. 
Um, I use 0.4 quite often for women who have a good amount of weight to lose. And for petite females, I'm always like 0.5, sometimes even 0.6. You know, I've had 100-pound females eating 50, 60 grams of fat, and that's 0.5, 0.6. Yeah, so I think think calculations are definitely different. I think your starting point is about the same Mm -hmm. um, for creating the calories – Typically, what I do will is, is will I'll create it using the same formula I always use because that's their body weight, so yeah. it's all relative. You know what I mean? Like it just looks like a smaller number because they're small. Um, but I will do the same exact calculation, and then usually what I'll do is I'll add calories and protein. So yeah. like I'll do the calculation with one gram per pound, and then add an, like the 0.5 grams per pound on top of that. So it gives them a big jump in calories, but it's just via protein. Yeah. Um, versus starting the calculations with 1.5. Yeah, even though it looks like a small number because they're not very big, it's still a small number. Like, and that's that's <laughs> actually what I meant. It looks like a smart, small number because it is a small number. Yeah. But if you look relative to body mass, it's not that crazy, which yeah. is unfortunate, yeah. obviously. Even but small women, you said you, you don't go to 0.3 or 0.4. Not with that, no. Yeah. But a lot of times that means their carbs have to get pretty low during yeah. a deficit. Yeah. Because you got to create a deficit somehow. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and th- and that's also why, like with with smaller females, I think it's better to take like a slow and steady approach. Mm-hmm. Um, if you try to get too aggressive, you have no choice but to drop calories super low. And when they're that light, and calories and intake is already low, because that's just their body level, like it's it's really hard on them for sure. So, all right, dude, we got one more question, and I am going to pass the phone to you and have you read this. It's a book. <laughs> chapter you know it's funny i deleted the first part because it was you know sometimes I do intro like hey cody blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like hey cody i got a real quick question <laughs> i was like oh 12 paragraphs later i'm just kidding you can ask nicole you can <laughs> nicole lane asked why do, you get a- the, why do you get the easy names <laughs> yeah no shit nicole lane very simple <laughs> tim john <laughs> i've been on a cutting phase since mid-january with a two-week diet break at the beginning of april my intent was to go another four to six weeks and then go to maintenance for summer, but with COVID and stress, which led to messing up on the weekends, I just kept going. I've been back on track since the gyms opened back up at the end of May. I'm up to a weekly at calorie average of 1,500 or 1,550. Um, she does 1,450 Sunday through Thursday and higher, 1,750 to 1,800 on Friday and Saturday to replenish carbs for powerlifting on Saturday mornings. But the scale isn't budging. Actually, it's going up a couple pounds. I did switch programming from a lighter weight slash band high-intensity garage workouts to a more of a heavy powerlifting-based program and have been a little sore here and there. My question is, should I drop calories more to get to my goal, which is still another five pounds to be comfortable in my summer clothes, or should I take a couple weeks uh, to diet break? If so, how long? Or should I reverse for a while? I'm 5'7", 167 pounds. Working six days, a, working out six days a week, have lost a hundred pounds in the last years. So that will Dang. make a big difference. Is it the last did year? You just, did you just or, say hundred years? No, <laughs> she said have lost a hundred pounds oh. in the last God. years. But I don't know if that's last what years? Two years? Three years? Or is that last year? Because yeah. that's t- totally different. Um, and trying to lose the last ten pounds. Thank you so much for all you do. I'm assuming. So, I'm assuming. Well, a hundred pounds. Maybe not one year. Well, that's what I'm, I mean, people could, could do it, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. If you told me you lost hundred pounds in a year, I would say hundred percent reverse diet, take a diet break, go to a maintenance phase, 
chill for a month or two. Yeah. Then get back to the diet. Yeah. Like that's stressful on your body. Yeah. Um, and if you only have 10 pounds to lose, that means you're like at the final stages, you know, like that last 10 pounds is where you get really, really lean. Um, you'd probably get a better result if you spent some time maintaining and come back. However, if you took five years to lose hundred pounds, totally different story. Um, I would probably suggest worrying less about powerlifting and worrying more about being in a deficit. So I would probably take those refeed days that you're doing and move them to every other week so that your whole entire week is in a deficit mm. um, instead of having those refeeds. And then if that doesn't do it, make them every third week. So you're just taking diet break or refeeds every few weeks um, and just staying in a deficit. Kind of like, like you said, uh, the seven, seven days. 100%. Yeah. Um, cause at this point you're just, you're at the final stages. Like you just need to get in a deficit and lose weight, like to lose that last little bit and, and coming out of the deficit too frequently can, can make that hard to do. Um, and if you're trying to lose the last 10 pounds, that's like the grind. That's yeah. the last little bit. If you're trying to power lift too, like that's an intense sport, um, which is probably why you gain two pounds. Uh, I I've had so many people, especially women, um, going back into the gym, like basically every week I have this conversation with somebody because all these gyms are like slowly opening up and they're going back to lifting and we're seeing some inflammation, uh, joints, muscular tendon, everything, seeing some water retention, both in the muscle and, uh, from stress hormones because you're training hard again, for sure. You gain weight, you gain a couple pounds in water. It's not the end of the world. It's totally fine. It's temporary, but it's going to stay around for a few weeks because you go from not really training hard at all to lifting heavy weights and powerlifting in her case, yep. you're going to see inflammation and water retention and gain some weight. So I wouldn't stress about that, but I would probably get into a little bit bigger of a deficit. Just take the refeeds out um, and just lose that last 10. Yep. And, and, and here's the last thing I'll say, as you didn't mention, but if your biofeedback sucks, like if your biofeedback is really bad, then take I, more frequently. No, I would just, I would take a full diet break maintenance phase, like take a month. You know, because if, if you're telling me like I only have 10 pounds to lose, I've lost all this weight, but I'm stressed out, like I'm not sleeping very well, like I'd be like, okay, take four weeks, eat at maintenance, you'll gain a few pounds, but it'll be just glycogen, it'll be fine. Feel way better, jump back in the diet after that. Because um, typically when people, again, going back to the whole diet break purpose, typically when people get to that point, they're actually more worn off out. than they realize. They're, yeah. they're worn out. So a lot of people don't get it but or, or don't think they do this, but they when they're tracking things, they're like, oh, it's close enough, or they're sneaking little things in, or they're forgetting to track something or forgetting to add something. They're just more la lackadaisical with tracking and weighing and measuring yeah. because they're burnt out from dieting. Mm -hmm. um, so they're confused why they're not losing while they're in a deficit. Well, it's because you're actually not adhering as great as you think you are because you're burnt out. You're yeah. tired. So it's normal. For sure. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. 
This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.